From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, grab one of these open phone lines. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985 you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com producer is michael mccall i'm jack williams michael michael yeah michael matt gubensky is screening your phone calls not his evil twin michael gubensky uh, Jeff Burson, magnificent person, is handling our social media efforts. Uh, so if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, our favorite father of mercy, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack, on this Fat Tuesday, this Carne Valle, this Mardi Gras day and there's a reason for that and it has to do with a shout out I want to give. I want to give a, a twofold shout out to the Nashville Dominican Sisters at Bethany House where this past weekend they hosted a men's retreat with 34 guys that I was the retreat master for and a shout out then as well to the gentlemen themselves. But uh, the way the nuns fed all 35 of us guys, the 34 retreatants and myself, I felt like it was Fat Friday Fat Saturday and Fat Sunday. <laughs> so a, a, a thank you and a shout out for helping me celebrate Mardi Gras a little early. Uh, the great Nashville Dominicans uh, there at Bethany House in Dixon, Tennessee. You know, I thought you were going to preach today and you had one button uh, open because you were going to hang your preaching, your preaching cross, but... Actually, it looks like that button's just popped off. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, you, you made me just look now, you know. <laughs> you know, That's one thing we Father's Mercy do with our Catholics is make sure all buttons are appropriately buttoned. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, uh, we will be entering into the uh, beautiful Lenten season tomorrow, and in preparation for that, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, just the, the 50,000-foot view of Lent. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, it, it is Mardi Gras, you know, uh, which means literally Fat Tuesday, and Carne Valle means uh, goodbye meat, where we get the word carnival from, celebration, right? Uh, so I just want to give a little bit of an overdue, uh, an, excuse me, an overview of Lent, a general overview of the liturgical season, 40 days of reflection and preparation for Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. And maybe it is a little bit of an overdue for Lent, for those Catholic Christians or Christians in general who, who haven't taken it upon themselves to seriously and sincerely practice 
uh, the traditions of this beautiful liturgical season. Lent is a liturgical season, Jack, preceded by Holy Week and Easter, of course. Uh, the Catholic Church designates these 40 days as a time of preparation for the greatest of liturgical solemnities, the resurrection of our Lord, the celebration of Easter, and his victory over evil, sin, and death. Lenten preparation and practices should consist of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. These are known as the three eminent good works. So as to call to one's mind a sincere repentance of sins and a desire for deeper conversion of one's soul. Uh, through these practices, we can arrive at Holy Week spiritually prepared to walk with Jesus through his suffering and death uh, by way of the Via Dolorosa, the, the way of sorrows uh, that our Blessed Mother herself endured, uh, partly tied to her title of Our Lady of Sorrows. During the Lenten season, the Church encourages the faithful to fast not only from food and drink, but also from such things as pride, injustice, and insensitivity to the miseries of others. For example, almsgiving itself should not consist merely in the sharing and giving of material goods to those especially in need, but should also constitute an attitude of the utmost charity towards others. This is why I like to say of the three eminent good works, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, Almsgiving itself has its own blueprint, uh, the primary of which is the 14 works of mercy, uh, the corporal works of mercy for the body and the spiritual works of mercy for the soul. Our Linden practices, too, should help us to see clearly that only through an openness to God and his sanctifying grace in prayer and detached from sin, especially mortal sin, uh, can we experience true and authentic conversion as God makes our hearts more understanding and full of charity as charity should be the very, very foundation of all Lenten resolutions. Uh, to quote 1 Corinthians 13, 13, faith, open love, and the greatest of these is love. So that's, you know, that's a little bit of an overview there for the liturgical season itself, but there's a little bit more I want to say here. The word Lent, from the Middle English word Lenten, means springtime. So right there, Jack, the bells and whistles should go off telling us that Lent is about new growth, uh, task fulfillment, uh, completion of a task, uh, uh, transformation, self-examination, precisely because it means springtime, new life, new growth, etc., and everything that, that's a part of that mentality. Uh, the Lenten season lasts 40 days because Jesus went into the desert for 40 days of fasting, meditation, and reflection before beginning his three years of public ministry. Uh, the Congregation for Divine Worship describes Lent as a time of preparation for Easter. It is a time to hear the Word of God to convert and to prepare for and remember one's baptism, to be reconciled with God and one's neighbor, and to make more frequent recourse to the arms of Christian penance. Again, the three eminent good works, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So to hear the word of God, so it is then, Jack, and I love this part about Lent. So it is then that scripturally speaking, 40 means something, right? Again, it appears uh, in the Bible some 157 times uh, as it brings to mind such qualities as repentance, uh, newness, preparation, say, for an important work or task, uh, self-examination, transformation, task fulfillment, escape from bondage or slavery, such as to sin, for example. Uh, 40 also implies such things as nourishment and growth, for example, in the spiritual life. And finally, personal fulfillment, uh, such as with redemption and salvation, and ultimately, new generation, new life. So here are some of the things that 40 is applied to in those 157 times or so. Uh, in Scripture, the Old and New Testament combined, listen to this. The, the, the rain, 
R-A-I-N. The reign of the great flood, the great deluge, lasted 40 days and 40 nights. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights to prepare himself to receive the law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. Then Moses was atop Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights during the time of receiving the law itself, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. How about the fact that the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years after fleeing the Egyptians? Uh, the manna, that mysterious bread-like substance that was a foreshadowing or type of the Eucharist to come, uh, rained down on the Israelites uh, for 40 years. When Moses sent out uh, 12 princes, one from each ancestral tribe, to re reconnoiter the land of Canaan, that is to seek out their promised future homeland, the princes reconnoitered the land for 40 days. Uh, the prophet Elijah walked 40 days and 40 nights uh, to reach the mountain of God, Horeb, which is the opposite side of Mount Sinai, but the same mountain itself. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights to prepare for his public ministry. That's an important one that brings us into the New Testament. Jesus then ascended into heaven 40 days after his glorious resurrection from the dead, right? We celebrate the ascension 40 days after Easter Sunday, Ascension Thursday. Uh, how about from Christmas Day? I love this one, Jack. Christmas Day, December 25th, to the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord, February 2nd, is, you got it, 40 days. So February 2nd, the Presentation of Christ in the Temple, wherein we celebrate the blessing of all the candles used during the liturgy uh, for the light of Christ that he is, um, that February 2nd, the Feast of the Presentation, closes Christmas tide, quote-unquote, the, the, the season after Christmas, that's still part of Christmas, we could say, Christmas tide. Uh, the Christmas season itself, we can say, closes with the Epiphany, but Christmas tide closes with February 2nd, 40 days after Christmas Day. How about the human gestation period for new life? Uh, within the human female is about 40 weeks, give or take. And I love this one as well. Uh, even the seeking of a partial or plenary indulgence has a period of 40 days as the time allotted to make a good and holy and reverent confession that is within 20 days before or within 20 days after the very day that the spiritual work was carried out for the plenary or partial indulgence. Understood, of course, that on the day that you received it and carried it out, um, you were in a state of grace that is not knowledgeable of any mortal sin on your soul, which we can't have that moral certitude, right? Uh, but that said, the day we carry out the spiritual work, whether for a plenary or partial indulgence, and by that I mean the actual calendar day that we carried out, we have an allotted 20 days before that calendar day or an allotted 20 days after that calendar day, to seek a good, holy, reverent confession. So there we see even 40 applied to the church's teaching on the receiving of a plenary and partial indulgence. Um, how awesome is this? So again, scripturally speaking, 40 means something, and that's pretty awesome. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question... Call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or 
send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Brand spanking new from EWTN Publishing for February, Everyday Miracles of Lourdes, 20 Extraordinary Experiences Along the Way to the Grotto by Marlene Watkins. She recounts 20 astounding true stories of miracles at Lourdes, including her own watershed mm. healing, which inspired her to establish Our Lady of Lourdes Hospitality North American Volunteers, and she actually became their first volunteer. Also, uh, you'll discover how we will enter heaven. Uh, it's not the way you might think. In the unexpected way, the oldest pilgrim and her marriage were renewed at Lourdes and much, much more. Everyday Miracles of Lourdes, uh, 20 Extraordinary Experiences Along the Way to the Grotto by Marlene Watkins, available at EWTNRC.com, by Catholic Shop, EWTNRC.com. Wide open phone lines. I had to console Father Wade for the entire break uh, to get him back on track because no one is calling in. So pick up the phone and give us a call with what you're going to do or not do during this Lenten season. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. And Father Wade, I'm so glad that you took a little time out from your incessant blogging to join us today. That's right. I have posted three brand new blogs at fathersofmercy.com that I want to bring to people's attention. First of all, Jack, if you'll recall, last Tuesday during the live show of Open Line Tuesday, we had a caller towards the end of the hour about uh, the five first Saturdays devotion and what exactly was required for that. And so I felt inspired to give a good synthesis, a good synopsis of the five first Saturdays devotion. And it's now posted as a blog at fathersofmercy.com. Once you you get to the homepage at fathersofmercy.com, just click on that little magnifying glass icon on the upper right-hand side of the homepage, and then a search bar comes up in the middle of the homepage, and simply type in Five First Saturdays, or Five First Saturdays Devotion. Then push enter, and you can find that blog immediately. And then in the last couple days, I have done two brand new blog posts specifically for Lent and both specifically about fasting. Uh, we talk about the positives uh, we do for Lent, meaning things that we want to do for Lent, and the negatives of Lent, the things we want to give up. And you can apply fasting to both of those categories, believe it or not. So the first one is titled, of the two Lenten fasting blogs, uh, it's titled, Do You Want to Fast This Lent? In the words of Pope Francis, some spiritual wisdom there from Pope Francis regarding fasting. Do you want to fast this Lent? In the words of Pope Francis. And secondly, uh, try a different approach to fasting this Lent. Try a different approach to fasting this Lent. So again, just go to fathersofmercy.com and click on that magnifying glass icon in the upper right-hand side of the page. A search bar comes up, blank, right in the middle of that homepage when you do that. And then type in the word fast or fasting, and those two blogs should come up immediately. They just did for me. Hopefully they will for you. Again, their titles, Do You Want to Fast This Lent? in the words of Pope Francis, and try a different approach to fasting this Lent. So three blogs total, two on Lenten fasting, different ways to do it positively or neg negatively with food products or without food products. And thirdly, the third blog, the Five First Saturdays Devotion. And I want to make an announcement about that. Uh, by this coming Friday, which is the 24th, uh, the day I take off flying to my first Lenten Parish Mission, Jack, I will have posted a good synthesis, 
Synopsis blog as well on the Nine First Fridays devotion given to us by St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in honor of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. So maybe the Five First Saturdays or the Nine First Fridays are devotions that you want to begin this Lent during the months of February and March and the first part of April, and to continue on through 2023 with the Five First Saturdays devotion and the Nine First Fridays. Uh, they come to us from the Fatima Sears and our Blessed Mother, the Five First Saturdays, especially what Our Lady revealed to Sister Lucia in the 1940s when she was a Dorothean uh, postulant there in the convent in Spain, and also um, the visions fully approved by the Church and the writings fully approved by the Church of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque for the Nine First Fridays. So uh, the Nine First Fridays blog again, a fourth blog, will be posted by this coming Friday, February 24th. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. First up today is Elizabeth in Chantilly, Virginia, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Elizabeth, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Everybody, was, well, you were all talking about um, how people were, what people were giving up for Lent, and um, last year I, I did something that I think I'm going to continue this year, with all the gender confusion that's going on in the culture today, um, I decided to give up wearing trousers for Lent and embrace skirts and go forth and kind of be that uh, symbol of being male and female as God made them and, and embracing femininity and, and showing that force in the culture. And it was pretty eye-opening. <laughs> well, that's great. That's, that's very innovative on your part, and I might say, and a beautiful, beautiful practice, I might add as well. And it may be something that you want to continue on even after Lent, if not in its totality, always wearing dresses or skirts, maybe uh, more often than you would have before Lent began. Uh, and so that's that's a wonderful thing, too. And, and you can give witness, uh, Elizabeth, in this regard to others. You know, there's several Catholic organizations out there that have pamphlets, uh, brochures on the virtues of modesty. A nun come off the top of my head right now to tell you where to go to get these and order them. Most of them are given out free, but they're usually done by private family apostolates on on uh, uh, modesty, purity, etc., and how dress has a has a big part of that. Uh, on what conveys how what exactly is conveyed how we dress, and this goes for the guys as well. You know, uh, you know, there, there's a certain modesty and prudence involved that helps promote the virtue of purity, and that's a beautiful thing. You know, a lot of times I get asked about the veil, uh, V E I L, that women wear at mass. You know, is it required or not? Well, no, it's not required, but there's a beautiful theology behind the veil that has to do with the theology of the body per se, taught by John Paul II. The female body is naturally and beautifully veiled, okay? Everything is within, and the veil, the theology of the veil, is tied to that theology of the body, okay? The beauty and modesty and purity of that fact. Um, the, the man's body is not veiled, okay? It's, it's exterior, it's, it's outgoing, it's producing, it's, and, and whatnot. And so, you know, the provider, protector, defender versus the feminine genius of the nurturer, the comforter, uh, the nester. Not, not that both genders can't share in those primary qualities is, is the natural gift to each gender. Of course, uh, a, a mother can 
be a provider, a protector, a defender. We all know the phrase mama bear, for example, right? Uh, and, and rightly so, a mother protecting her babies. And it and doesn't mean that a father can't be a, a nurturer, uh, a protector, and a, 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 a nester. You know, I know a couple of dads who are at-home dads while the, the wife is the primary breadwinner. Uh, and they do a wonderful job at that. So it doesn't mean that the two genders cannot partake in each other's natural gifts proper to that gender, but, but part of the theology of the body is that we are gifted in those specialty areas, those specialized areas. John Paul II would say in his theology of the body, uh, men and women are equal but different. Equal in their dignity, different in their complementarity. And that's not complementarity or complementary like I pay you a compliment, Elizabeth, C-O-L- uh, excuse me, C-O-M-P-L-I-M-E-N-T, like I pay you a compliment. No, it's complementary, meaning they complete each other. C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E, right? Complementary. So men and women are different, uh, but equal. They're, they're, they're different in their complementarity, but they're equal in their dignity, or equal but different, equal in their dignity, but different in their complementarity. And this is part and parcel with John Paul's theology of the body, which dress and how we dress or dressing has a lot to do with these different themes, these different profound themes. So I think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing, and and maybe uh, research some pamphlets or booklets on modesty and purity and pass them out as well during Lent. Uh, that would be a wonderful thing to do, too. Uh, again, calling uh, on our listeners today and also our viewers at Facebook live feed of this show and the, and the YouTube live feed of this show to tell us what you're giving up for Lent as a negative or doing for Lent as a positive, whether it's food-oriented or non-food-oriented, like Elizabeth just gave us a, a beautiful example of, of dressing more feminine, dressing more modestly. Uh, what are you doing for Lent? Give us a call. Next up is Annette. She's in Perry, Ohio, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Annette, you are on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Hi, Jack. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was calling about what I was giving up for Lent, and what I want to do is try to be better about keeping my interior silence throughout the day, Um, and so I can keep in conversation with Christ more. And... um, to do that, I think the best thing I could possibly do is to take myself totally off of social media, off of my computer, off of anything that pulls in those distractions. So um, I am giving up use of my iPad. I'm, I printed up most of my prayers, all my writings I have on my iPad. So I printed those off, things that I use every day, and I printed those off so I'd have only my prayers. Um so that I can not have any, I can do everything manually instead of using computers or my phone or my iPad. Well, wonderful, um, Annette. What a, what, a, what a witness. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to do that. Not everybody is able to do that, depending on what their job situation is and so forth. Uh, it, it sounds like you are able to do that. You've given it a lot of thought and more power to you. I think that's wonderful. One thing that I think we all can do with social media and with the actual material phone or the material iPad, iPad or, or laptop or desktop computer is to cut back on time that those devices are used. I think we can all do that. And if you're able to, if you're able to go the extra mile, anybody out there listening right now, like Annette is able to do, like she just so beautifully described, uh, 
that's particularly heroic, uh, and, and that's a great thing. Do, uh, just out of curiosity, Annette, are, are you retired? Do you still work? Is your work able to work around this going off the grid, quote, in quote, as you call it, during Lent? Uh, how is that all able to work? I'm actually retired. I'm actually okay. retired, so I can do that. I'm okay. One thing that I would recommend is that uh, somehow, some way, have a backup plan if a, if a family emergency comes up, and you know f- families are great about starting a, a, f- a text trail or a, 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 a text tree. They're sometimes called, uh, where you have a bunch of family relatives and their individual phone numbers uh, on this text trail. Should there be a family emergency, everybody's notified at once. You might want to give some loved ones, friends, and relatives. Uh, make sure they have your landline number, for example, uh, presuming you have a landline of, your, of a telephone so that they can get a hold of you. A lot of people now don't, don't remember landline numbers. A lot of people still have landline numbers, for example, in their home, but they don't remember what their relative's landline number is because we're so dependent on the smart devices. Again, whether it's the iPad or the smartphone or whatever, we're so dependent on the, on the smart devices. So just have a backup plan and, and, and give witness as well, not in a prideful way, but give witness to your family members and friends. Look, I'm going off the grid with my smart devices for Lent. Uh, I'm doing things uh, the old-fashioned way these next 40 days, and 40-plus uh, days if you count the Sundays. And, uh, but here's how you can get a hold of me in case of a family uh, emergency. Great idea, Ned, and, and a great witness call as well. Thank you. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Carl in Dallas, Texas, Paul in the great state of Massachusetts, Michael in Louisville, and we've got time for your calls as well. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You know, there's two big races in the springtime in America. Uh, The Great American Race, the NASCAR Daytona 500 that was run yesterday, and the other one is the Indy 500 that's usually held Memorial, it's always held Memorial Day weekend. Um, And we want to thank and give congratulations to our longtime EWTN radio partner in Indianapolis, Catholic Radio Indy, on their 19th. Anniversary this week. They started with one station in Indianapolis and they're now heard on four FM signals throughout the state of Indiana. Congratulations to Gordon Smith and his entire team at Catholic Radio Indy, now celebrating 19 years with EWTN Radio. And another of our radio family members is celebrating their uh, seventh anniversary this week, and that's Aquinas Communications in Dubuque, Iowa. Uh, seven years with EWTN. Congratulations to all of you. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines for you and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Father Wade, you'll be bebopping around this Lenten season, and if somebody's looking ahead to uh, future Lenten seasons or Advent seasons or anything else, parish anniversaries that might be coming up that would warrant a parish mission, how can they get a hold of a, an itinerant preaching uh, apostolate to maybe serve their needs in that area? Yeah, great question. You know, uh, Lent is one of the most popular times for the parish mission, a three, four, or five-night parish mission in a parish. I'm often asked as a Father of Mercy, what is a parish mission like? You know, it's a it's great uh, uh, conversational fodder when I'm in the airport, for example, and people approach and say, oh, you're a Catholic priest, you know, uh, where's your church, etc. Well, I'm a religious order priest, we're Father of Mercy, we're itinerant preachers, this is what we do. Oh, well, what is a parish mission like, they might ask. And I say, well, it's a fantastic opportunity for the people of the parish and surrounding community 
to come together for a three, four, or five-night presentation on a particular theme or topic of Catholic teaching. Uh, Pope St. John Paul II once said that for the periodical renewal of a parish, Jack, nothing beats a parish mission. With such things as daily Eucharistic adoration, ample, ample opportunity for confession, and a solemn closing Mass on the last night, a parish mission is a great opportunity for both individual and parish-wide renewal. It provides a wonderful opportunity for parish-wide strengthening of the Church's teachings. And anybody out there listening, you can have your pastor contact our mission director, Father John Broussard, uh, via email at missions at fathersofmercy.com is his email address. That's the word mission with an S at the end of it. Missions at fathersofmercy.com is Father Broussard's uh, email address there to the mission office, and you can let uh, Father Broussard know uh, pastors out there uh, what what week, and maybe shoot him three or four different uh, preferences of dates, and he'll see which ones of those are available, and get back in touch with you. And to find out more about the Fathers of Mercy in general, of course, including vocation weekends, uh, simply go to fathersofmercy.com, our primary website, to find out more about the community. 833-288-EWTN EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. I was out yesterday driving home from Fort Worth, Texas, visiting my daughter for her birthday. Uh, drove through the, the tip of Dallas, Texas, and that's where we're heading next. Carl is in Dallas listening on Guadalupe Radio. Carl, you're on with Father Wade Menezes. Jack, thank you for your service, Father. Thank you for your ministry. You're welcome, Carl. Um, thank you. I would... We are planning, my wife and I, to say a rosary and also uh, read part of the catechism at night or use a video aid for that if we can. Okay. And I'm first going to give up alcohol, which that's going to be a tough one because I'm a teacher and an administrator, and when it gets to be 5 o'clock and I get home um, to reward myself for being a good teacher and a good administrator, I will have a glass of wine. So I'm giving that up. <laughs> it could be a challenge. Um, and just wanted to know, there's kind of a discussion. Some people think that it's okay to, if you're, say, abstaining from alcohol or sports on TV, for example, is it okay to relax that on Sunday? And what are the pros and cons? Well, great question. You know, uh, Lent officially begins on Ash Wednesday and ends at the beginning of the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday evening. So traditionally, to answer your question specifically, Sundays are excluded in Lent's 40-day count. So whatever you are doing for Lent in the positive or giving up for Lent in the negative, uh, you are welcome, without guilt, <laughs> to forego the Sundays of those things. Uh, because every Sunday is a little Easter, is a celebration of little Easter, of the, the big Easter of the resurrection. Now that said, you're also most welcome to continue your Lenten practices. Notice I didn't say penances, because not all Lenten practices are penances. Uh, you can also uh, continue, if you choose, uh, to continue on with your Lenten practices and penances when the Sunday rolls around during the five weeks of Lent. So, your choice to answer your question. But, uh, you know, I, I love the way our call screener typed the question on behalf of Carl. Uh, you know, do Sundays count or can we splurge, right? <laughs> so, so, when I saw that, I thought, well, this is, this is an Israelite who knows no guile. You know, what you see is what you get. He's asking a good, honest question 
to goodness question here and deserves a good, honest answer. So, uh, you know, all good things in moderation, right? Uh, when I preach on, on the passions, emotions, and feelings, I talk about issues, dependencies, and addictions. And so, you know, there is nothing inordinate about a glass of wine. Believe me, I know I'm Portuguese, right? Uh, there's nothing inordinate about a glass of wine, and we Catholics love our glasses of wine, or we Portuguese Catholics love our glasses of wine. Uh, that said, all good things in moderation. We never want to abuse anything and have it become dependent, or dare I say, a full-blown addiction. You know, our Lord's first public miracle at the beginning of his three years of public mystery involved wine. And, you know, he made not water into wine, he made water into the best of wine, Scripture tells us. And we know this by what the head waiter says after the miracle takes place. He turns to the bridegroom and says, hey, you know, what we normally do is we give the best wine first when people have not drunk freely, and then we give them the inferior wine later on when they have drunk freely, so they can't tell it's inferior wine. But you have held off on the best wine till latter, till, till later, till, till the last. And so that's how we know, as Fulton Sheen teaches so beautifully, Jesus not, did not make water into wine. He made water into the best of wine. And then Fulton Sheen also adds, and you can probably bet that he, our Lord, had some himself. You know, <laughs> so, so there you have it. All good things in moderation. So great, great question about whether or not the Sundays are included in the 40-day count of Lent, literally or not. Thank you, Carl, and thanks for listening and calling in today from Dallas, Texas. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still a couple of open lines and time for your calls at 833-288-3986. As advertised, Paul is in the great Commonwealth of Massachusetts listening on the EWTN app. Paul, you're on with Father Wade Menezes. Yes, good afternoon. Father Wade, let me preface my question by telling you that I bought your most recent book last summer when it came out. Catholic Essentials, and I loved it, and I referred to it early and often, and I will continue to do so, especially during Lent, because I'm going to do a lot more reading of books, and which I'll t- tell you about in a moment, too. But let me get to my question. It's a kind of a sort of two-part question, Father. Um, I know that during the season of Advent that the gospel acclamation of Alleluia is still uh, uh, met, uh, in effect, but the Gloria is omitted. And during Lent, both the Gloria prayer and the gospel uh, acclamation of Alleluia are omitted during Lent. And I, I, I know why, but a lot of people kind of maybe stumped on that. Can you just kind of t- talk about the, sure. the wisdom and the- theory behind that, what that's all about and why? Sure, because these these are uh, acclamations of praise, of of the glory of the Paschal Mystery, uh, that four-event event of our Lord's passion, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. The second time I use that word event there, think of a capital E. The Paschal Mystery is the passion, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord into heaven, so it's that four-event event, capital E, and these uh, parts of the Mass, the glory of the Alleluia, are ringing those through and true to our minds, our intellects, our hearts, our whole being without reserve, right? So because Lent is more penitential in nature, the word used in the liturgical document is suppressed. The Alleluia is suppressed, and in its place we have the acclamation. For example, one of them is, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of Endless Glory. Uh, There's several others, but that's a popular one that gets used in place of the Alleluia. There's still a verse that's attached to it, uh, just like we have an Alleluia verse interspersed before the Gospel between the two Alleluias sung. Uh, we have the verse, scriptural verse interspersed between the acclamations of, of the gospel, depending, de- regardless of which one is used. But my point is the Alleluia is suppressed precisely because it's more of a penitential season, okay? 
Um, same with uh, uh, with Lent. We don't suppress the Alleluia, but we suppress the Gloria. Uh, Lent, and I've talked about this before on how it differs from Advent. When Advent rolled around, I made this very clear. Where Lent is more penitential in nature, Advent is more about a sober awakening and waiting in nature, the two comings of Christ. As St. Augustine says, let's not forget his first coming precisely so that we do not regret his second coming, right? So where Lent is more strictly penitential, focusing on the three eminent good works, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, uh, the 14 works of mercy, seven for the body called the corporal works of mercy, uh, the seven for the soul called the spiritual works of mercy, etc., things we want to do positively, I'm going to do this for Lent, things we want to do negatively for Lent, I'm going to give this up for Lent. Um, Advent doesn't necessarily have those traditions attached to it, but it is a sober awakening waiting. So with, with Lent, we have the Alleluia suppressed, uh, and, and is like you said, the glory. And then we also have, during Advent, we have uh, the glory is suppressed, but not the Alleluia. So they, they're similar, but they're different. So for example, a similarity between both of these liturgical seasons, Paul, is that both wear violet in regards to the liturgical vestments, that the priest wears the violet. Violet is a more somber, sober, awakening uh, color than the festive white or the festive gold or uh, the red of the martyrs, symb symbolic of their blood, or the green of ordinary times, symbolic that the year is progressing in its liturgical seasons, uh, the green of growth. Um, so the, the, the violet is more sober, somber, awakening, penitential, etc. And so Lent and Advent uh, use those, those co that color. Does, does that kind of help you out? Oh, most most definitely, Father, and I, and, and I, I really appreciate it. And, I, and I'm not really giving up anything per se, but I'm just going to increase my reading. I've got, uh, you know, your book, but I also got books by, well, I can't go wrong with like C.S. Lewis and, and G.K. Chesterton and Scott Hahn's books. Uh, you know, every night for at least two hours, just read. I have a lot of app, Catholic apps. I have more Catholic apps on my phone that you can shake a stick at. So it, uh, the Holy Spirit is there everywhere I look. Well, fantastic. What a, what a witness you're, you're giving right now to everyone out there listening, especially to other men. Uh, I think men need to focus on their spirituality a little more than women, especially in this day and age. And uh, you're giving a great witness in that regard. I'm very happy, Paul, to report that uh, a good handful of parishes now are taking on my latest book, Catholic Essentials, for their RCIA class uh, to serve as a textbook uh, for a good synthesis of the Church's teachings in those five parent categories of morals and dogma and ecclesiology and sacraments and liturgy uh, for the RCIA candidates, the catechumens, in their RCIA program. So that's great news. And even if, if uh, the RCIA class, the Director of Religious Ed leading the class, is not using Catholic Essentials, I'd like to invite our listeners today to think of my book, Catholic Essentials, as a as a gift, a confirmation gift, or a baptism gift, or a gift for entering the Church uh, during Holy Week to the catechumen that you know of, maybe a relative or friend that's entering the Church, um, think about giving them Catholic essentials uh, for a, a gift for uh, having entered the Church or for having completed their sacraments of initiation. Thank you, Paul, so much for a great call. Next stop for us is Louisville, Kentucky. Michael is in Louisville listening on Holy Family Radio. Michael, you're on with Father Wade. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just had kind of a comment, question. Uh, the last 50 years, uh, contraception has been mentioned one time 
in a Sunday homily. And I was just kind of wondering why is that like that? And maybe we could mention contraception for the end of abortion uh, in our petitions or something, do something for that. Yeah, great, great point, especially when, when there's different contraceptive devices or medications out there that per se function as abortifacients, meaning they permit the egg to be fertilized, but not to uh, attach itself to the uterine wall for growth. Instead, it, it naturally flushes out of the woman's system, what we could call a spontaneous, chemically induced abortion, as opposed to just a spontaneous abortion that happens naturally with no use of contraception. That happens as well. But this would be, uh, what we're talking about now would be a, a spontaneous, a chemically induced, uh, positively induced, uh, purposely taken contraceptive that doubly functions as an abortifacient. Why don't priests preach on it more, whether diocesan priest or religious order priest? Well, I can't answer that question. You show me a, a room of five different priests who preach on Sundays at pulpits and parishes, why they don't preach more on contraception, presuming they don't, uh, you're going to get five different answers. Uh, I can only say that while it would be imprudent to preach on these types of things every single Sunday, because you'll drive your people away, you've got to give your people hope, you've got to give them the glory and joys of the truth. While it would be imprudent to preach on such life issues, or anti-life issues, I should say, every single Sunday, they surely should be met at least quarterly, if not twice quarterly. Uh, and you might have one priest tell you, quite frankly, that he doesn't want to make his congregants feel uncomfortable because the, the collection will go down. Well, I say to heck with the collection. If God wants this parish to continue to exist, it will continue to exist. And in fact, I know of, of more stories, trifold, if not quadfold, fourfold, where the priest, the new priest, started to preach on such life issues in their in their positivity but in the in the preaching of the life issue positively would naturally also talk about the evils that go against the life issues like contraception and abortion euthanasia and so forth uh, things that are against the the natural sanctity of marriage and family life for example um, he would tell you the the successor of the previous pastor that the collections doubled and tripled and I have heard fourfold stories of that happening much much more often than the opposite happening that the that the that would be that the the collection actually doubles or triples or increases is when the priest doesn't preach on contraception. No, -uh, it happens the other way around. Uh, contraception, as you know, is deliberate interference with marital intercourse in order to prevent conception per se. It's the performance of the marriage act with the positive frustration of conception. That's why it's called contra against conception, uh, conception, the conceiving of a child. Also called conjugal onanism from the sin of onan referred to in the Bible, the book of Genesis chapter 38, verses 8 through 10. Um, we, we see this happening, and, and it, it also can happen now with man-made products uh, like the RU486 pill and so forth. The Catholic Church has preached against contraception from the earliest of times and the earliest of documents, and the number of papal statements dealing with the subject indicates the Church's constant, constant teaching tradition. In modern times, the most significant document was Humanae Vitae in 1968 by Pope Paul VI, now canonized as saint, after referring to the long history of the Church's teaching in that document, Humanae Vitae, where he lays out the history, even quoting the Didache, that a woman shall not take natural herbs to induce an abortion on purpose, huh? Uh, he states that direct interruption of the generative process already begun, even though done for therapeutic reasons, is to be absolutely excluded as illicit means of, of re regulating birth. And instead, during such times, even, even for their therapeutic, 
the couple needs to refrain during the fertile periods. If it's to be done therapeutically, that's the way we go about it. Equally to be excluded is direct sterilization for contraceptive reasons, for example, the vasectomy of the male or the tubal ligation of the female. And similarly excluded is every action that either in anticipation of the conjugal act, the beautiful, beautiful marriage conjugal act, or its accomplishment of, uh, or in the development or its natural consequences of, uh, purposes, uh, whether as an end or as a means to render procreation impossible, is simply forbidden by the teaching of the Church. And this is the constant teaching tradition. Uh, so again, uh, Humanae Vitae is a short document. It's a very beautiful document. Uh, it's quite prophetic. Humanae Vitae is very, very prophetic and what Pope Paul VI predicted. Um, it's very a very telling document. Also, the Catechism of the Catholic Church uh, has a beautiful section on why uh, contraception is wrong by the Church and so forth, and what the Church teaches about that. Um, there's four primary predictions, by the way, that Pope Paul VI teaches in Humanae Vitae. He says there would be a lowering of morality in marriages and in society. Number two, he said there would be a loss of respect for women in general and of their reproductive ability in particular. Number three, he taught in Humanae Vitae that there would be the risk of big government intervention in the relationships between men and women, between husbands and wives, and their marital act. He also taught, fourthly, we would begin to use our bodies and their reproductive ability as mere machinery. We see this, for example, with surrogacy. Uh, and so forth, as a, as a product of machinery for payment. These are four things, and that goes against the dignity of the human person doing such things, as well as the baby that's conceived, even though it's a beautiful natural baby conceived that way, it still goes against the baby's right to a natural conception and, and birth of, with a mother and father. Um, by their own conjugal act, the parents' own conjugal act. So these are four things that Humanae Vitae predicted, and it's a, it's a good document. It's not a long document. It's good to, it's good to read uh, during Lent. Take it on as your spiritual reading during Lent. Great question. Thank you so much, and a great witness question as well. Be sure to check out Catholic Connection tomorrow morning. Teresa welcomes Peter and Debbie Herbeck. They'll talk about cultivating a Christ-centered marriage. And Dr. Matthew Bunsen joins her with all the news from the Vatican. That's Catholic Connection tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Kathy in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Kathy, you're on with Father Wade. Hi. Thanks, Father. Um, I have a question about responsibility of dealing with corporations that you are aware um, participate in supporting abortion? Yeah, great question. We had one similar last week. You should exhaust your means of trying to find other businesses that are more pro-life affiliated. Uh, if you cannot do that, understand the Church's teaching on remote versus proximate cooperation in the evil. Uh, it's easy enough to Google Catholic.com, EWTN.com, frequently asked questions, covers this very, very topic. Uh, we don't want to partake in the company because it stands for this anti-life stance. We do it rather because there's no other company to deal with, and, and we take it as a tolerated side effect, what's called a tolerated side effect, that this company is doing it for this, that this company is partaking in such anti-life activity. That would be a remote cooperation in the evil. Approximate cooperation in the evil, meaning up close to, approximate cooperation in the evil um, is, is when you're partaking in the company precisely because they have that stand that's anti-life, and you want to promote that stand in culture even more 
more in society even more, which then makes you an actual participant in what are called the veritable structures of sin. So we want to try to do everything in our power, uh, Kathy, to uh, exhaust our means to find another company that's preferably pro-life that we can do business with for the same product. And then uh, if we can't, then you want to understand and take comfort in the proximate versus uh, the remote cooperation in the evil. This is a constant teaching uh, tradition of the Church, and it's easy enough to find online that distinction between proximate and remote cooperation in, in the evil. Great question. Thank you so much. 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. George is in Monroe Township, New Jersey, listening at EWTN.com. George, you're on with Father Wade. Good afternoon. Hello, Father. Hey, George. Thanks for your call today. You want to know why I said earlier that men are generally less spiritual, it seems? Yes, I do, Father. I don't agree great, with that. Great, great question. I'm so, glad, I'm so glad you're asking it and you're permitting me to, to expound on this. As an itinerant missionary preacher with a religious order, the Fathers of Mercy, I'm not a diocesan or parish priest at all, but uh, I spend about 70% of my time in parishes, and women attend daily Mass more. I would say at least four or five to one. Women stay for the practices of the daily devotionals like Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet. I would say four or five to one over men. Uh, More often than not, uh, women are lectors, officially deputed lectors. Um, They are officially deputed extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, and and this is fine. I'm not complaining about this. The Church permits it, and I'm a loyal, faithful son of the Church. I'm right in line with the chair of Peter. I swerve neither left nor right. Uh, So I support women doing these things liturgically, but it's sad that we don't see an equal number of men doing it, especially in a day and age when when manhood and masculinity, masculinity is so challenged by the culture. We need men to cowboy up. Can I say that? We need men to cowboy up and take the helm of their leadership roles uh, in in the church, just as the women are doing. And it's a beautiful thing that the women are doing it, but it's a sad thing that it's not equal. Again, John Paul II, his theology of the body, men and women are equal but different, equal in their dignity. So both genders can certainly take part in properly deputed roles at the sacred liturgy. But the, the women outnumber the men by far, four or five, if not higher, uh, to one. I've never taken a, a quantitative analysis of this, but I would say off the top of my head that it's four or five to one that they have a presence over the men in these liturgical ministries, in their daily mass attendance, in their um, uh, staying for the devotionals, and women's groups in parishes outnumber men's groups, like the men's group that meets on Wednesday morning at 6.30 for coffee and donuts on Wednesday mornings at 6.30 before they head out to the work period. That might be one men's group in the parish uh, with with three or four other women's groups in the parishes. Then you have the groups that are meant to take both men and women, like the Legion of Mary. And the Legion of Mary, I, I've spoken to Legion of Mary groups because they're, they're popular and they're often found at parishes, and so during the course of the five-night parish mission, the pastor will ask me if I will address his Legion of Mary. More often than not, the female members of the Legion of Mary outnumber the men members. So this is why I say that, but a great, fantastic question. Thank you so much. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our open line listeners this day and always as we begin Lent and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch until we get together on Open Line Wednesday. God bless.